What's up, guys? It's Damon Sharp here, and I am today's Man of the Hour. He's a Grammy and ASCAP award-winning producer, DJ, and my good friend Damon Sharp is today's Man of the Hour for many reasons, of course, but I can't wait to uncover with Damon this idea that some of life's hardest moments are really what sets you up for the best ones. As you could imagine, being a Hollywood producer and entertainer, Damon has been in recording sessions with the best of the best, but then also been at points in his career where he was serving those exact same people in a restaurant. This interview today will bring a lot to perspective as to how up and down life can be sometimes, but we all have the choice to make the most of it and choose how we take action. Damon Sharp, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Woo! Thank you for having me. We'll, we'll have so much to talk about. You know, I think about the people we've been bringing on the show, and I keep telling myself, when's Damon coming on? And we finally have him right here. Peace and blessings to you, my friend. Uh, you know, start your story from the very beginning. Um, you know, guys, this is an extraordinary man uh, that was born in Cleveland, Ohio, raised in Phoenix, Arizona, which we'll get to in a bit as to maybe you'll be leaving Hollywood a little sooner, right? We'll get the exclusive on that. There's, there's so much going on in the world. But anyway, we'll go back to that in a minute. Um, you know, but your love for music at 15 then, pretty much not forced, but your parents graciously moved to Hollywood, right? When you were 15. Yeah start this career in what was going to be music and then you ended up being one fifth part of a, a boy band if you guys remember guys next door it's funny because boy band right guys next door you guys were already trying to be mature men at the time and you were only 15 uh but then from there the rest of your career was history my friend you know you've worked with the likes of jennifer lopez ariana grande pitbull alesso kelly Rowland, big time rush boys to men and then even albums for American Idol and X Factor, and then the soundtrack for the Pitch Perfect movie, and then finally the award-winning, Grammy Award-winning Chicago soundtrack as well. Damon, your career in hindsight doesn't even feel like it could be possible for somebody, but it was for you. Uh, so first of all, talk about a career, man. And I think that when you look back to the boy band days in Hollywood, when your family first had moved out there with you, dude, did you ever think you would end up here? Man, it, you know, it's been a crazy ride. You know, it's, it's already been, I feel like it's like I've already been through so many chapters and the book is just getting started. So I think that's what makes it exciting for me. You know, I, I've gotten to fulfill a lot of my dreams, um, but there's still a lot of things on the bucket list that I'm, that I'm ready to check off. Man, that's the cool thing about life though. And I was going to tell you about this idea of the universe. I think when we first met in person, we were talking about this too. You know, there could be a plethora of opportunities that you might be creating for yourself on the back end, but then you get to work with someone like JLo, you get to work with someone like Pitbull and you start thinking to yourself, pinch me, am I getting lucky? No, you might've already been working on that uh, in the background without knowing it because you were working so hard. And, you know, we'll get into all the details as to like what your day looks like. How does someone produce music? How does someone work on a Grammy Award winning album, right? Like there's so many things that you've accomplished. Uh, but again, starting from the beginning, you've always loved music, right? It's probably always been a passion of yours since you were a child. It convinced your parents to move to Hollywood. Uh, but then you look at the fact that um, there's a lot of hours that go into something like that in the studio uh, meetings, and just like thinking about the next soundtrack maybe uh, as a whole. But after all the music you've produced in your career, can you kind of give us in your own reflective words um, what that has looked like for you in terms of you know going from one song to the next and really loving music for what it is to then getting you this far along in your career? Wow, yeah, so it's, uh, uh, since we have the time, I'll give you the long one. Um, so basically, I, when I was about, I would say about, maybe 13, 14, I always knew I wanted to be involved in some aspect of the entertainment industry. Um, but when I was a kid, I was a break dancer, believe it or not. I started as a dancer, which a lot of people don't know. They thought that I was either an actor or started in music, but I just had this affinity and love. I was a break dancer. I was a street dancer. I would break the cardboard out in the living room and dance for my parents. And they were like, oh, what is, what is this kid doing? You know, he, he's got issues. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like they, they put me into dance class and you know, that was more for break dancing at that time. Yeah. But I met uh, a woman by the name of Julie Wren, who uh, came and grabbed me by the hand from the class and brought me over to the other classroom across the way. And you could see through the glass. And she's like, she's like, have you ever thought about doing jazz dancing? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. I said, I love break dancing. And she's like, you see all those girls in there? I was like, yeah. And she goes, 
if you join the class, you get to meet all those girls. And the 13 year old kid, me, who was kind of like a nerd at the time and could, didn't have a chance with a girl, you know, was like, let's give it a shot, you know? So I jumped in, started doing jazz dancing, tap dancing, um, and I started doing competitive dancing. And that kind of transitioned me into being able to come back and forth to LA. I was in Arizona at the time um, to be able to, you know, start auditioning for commercials and different dancing gigs. And at that time, there were not a ton of male dancers that did what I did. It was like, you know, for every hundred girls, there were maybe two guys. It wasn't as popular as it is now where it's gotten very balanced out. Um, so when I would go out for something, I, nine times out of 10, I would book the job. There were like five of us, you know what I mean? In that age range, especially. Um, so initially, I, I immediately booked like a Disneyland commercial. Then I booked a Pepsi commercial. Then I booked a Nintendo commercial. And this is all before even moving to LA. So I was super lucky. I was already in, I got into the unions. Well, it's a union now. It's SAG after. But at that time, it was SAG and after separate. Um, so I was able to jump in there. And then I just told my parents, I said, I really think I wanted, this is what I really want to do for a living. Um, I know I'm young. And uh, they were gracious enough to make the move and came out to, I, initially me and my mom just came out for like a summer. And that's how I was able to kind of start getting my feet wet and making connections and networking and booking jobs. Mm. When my dad saw that all that was connecting, he's like, all right, let's move the whole family. They're both teachers. So they were able to, you know, just transfer out and get great jobs here. They were both at um, amazing schools for about 30 years teaching here in LA. Nice. My dad was at St. Matthew's Parish School, uh, which is in the Pacific Palisades. My mom was at the Oakwood Private School in uh, Studio City, and they had great 30-year mm. careers, and they just retired last year. So, Oh, congrats to your yeah. parents. Yeah, yeah. So I'm super thankful for them. For, I owe them everything. I think about them being teachers and looking at you on your cardboard placement in the middle of <laughs> Really, my kid? The little boy? Well, you know, yeah, the amazing thing is they, they always supported me and no matter what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to do karate. They're like, all right, here's your karate. My brother's like, I want to DJ. Boom, we're buying you the equipment. You know, my sister's like, I want to dance too. Great, we'll throw you in. They always just let us kind of, you know, jump in and learn, which I really appreciate that um, because a lot of parents will just ixnay things right from the ground up and they were always very supportive. And even if I failed in things, they still were encouraging and like, okay, maybe this isn't for you. Let's try that. Mm. So, you know, as soon as, I, as soon as we moved out to LA, again, I've just been so blessed and so fortunate, you know, to, to have things connect. I think a lot of that does come with, you know, innately, I'm, I'm very driven and I have a lot of work ethic and no matter what, you know, rung of the ladder of success I get to, I want to keep climbing and, I'm, and I want to be thankful. And, uh, you know, the next thing I booked, I booked a tour as a dancer. Um, and I was one of the youngest people to do, I think I was 15 at the time. And I was backup dancing for a singer named Tiffany, who was a big nineties, late eighties, early nineties. She was like the Britney Spears of like the late eighties, early nineties. So I was backup dancing for her and it was on a tour with new kids on the block. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was like a world tour, you know, I'm sorry, not a world tour. It was the U S hanging tough tour. Um, and we toured for like four months straight. So it really let me get legs as a kind of, I, even though I was a dancer, I felt like a touring artist, you know, because I'm on the road, in a bus, going from city to city, getting to kind of see A to Z, like what artists have to do, you know, to promote and living on the road and tour managers and, you know, just all the aspects of going from hotel to hotel and, you know, waking up at five in the morning for promo and doing shows until you go to bed. So I really got to get a good gambit of that at such a young age. And it was crazy because my parents didn't come. It was just one guardian for the four dancers who were all like 14, 15 years old. So needless to say, it was a crazy fun party for teenagers, but it was a great, you know, learning lesson. So, you know, I came back from that just super eager and excited. Um, I ended up finishing school early. I went to independent study and finished, finished high school early. Um, and just can you continue to work? And then a little bit after that, uh, I booked a pilot for NBC. Um, at the time it was called Boys Next Door. It was kind of like, so essentially, if you imagine New Kids on the Block were probably the biggest boy band of all time, even bigger than NSYNC, Backstreet, One Direction, all of them. I would say iconically, they're probably one of the biggest. They can still sell out a 25,000 seat arena till, to date. Well, not with COVID, but, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so, you know, it, um, the pilot was basically kind of a version of New Kids on the Block meets the Monkees. So it was, it was sketch comedy. We had an album on EMI Records. Um, and the, there was a gentleman by the name of Brandon Tartikoff who used to run NBC. And his daughter was a huge fan of New Kids. So she's like, Daddy, you know, I want my own New Kids on the Block. So that's kind of why they created us. And we were all cast and, you know, it, it really happened overnight. Like I said, we shot the pilot. Like we went into audition for the pilot. Within days, we shot the pilot. Within a month, it was picked up. Um, and then we were on we were on NBC for almost a full year. 
um, right after Saved by the Bell. And, you know, obviously because of how big Saved by the Bell was at that time, we immediately got traction. We're on the cover of all the teen magazines. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, you know, our, our, we're doing in-store signings with like 5,000 people, um, you know, dolls, board games, the whole gambit. Um, and then overnight, fast forward about a year and a half later, it's all, take, it's all taken away. You know, the show is canceled, the record deal is repealed. And the best way I can sum it up is, you know, I went from taking pictures with Will Smith as a peer to fast forward two years later, serving him a Pepsi as a waiter. So it was an insane life lesson, you know, and I, I can't lie, you know, as, at that point I was like 16 or 17 already. And, you know, you, you kind of lose a little grip on reality. You start to believe the hype around you. And then when it gets taken away, you're like, what do I do? You know, cause you're a teenager. It's a little, it's a little, um, you get a little disillusioned, you know? Um, but it was, that, that was what was meant for me. It was meant to connect and be taken away so I could learn that lesson at an early age. So, you know, I went through some, I, I can't lie, I went through a few years of kind of just dark times trying to find myself and still with a little bit of pride, too much pride and too much ego as a teenager. Like, oh, I was on a TV show. I can't work a regular job. And then I was like, you know what? I got to pay the bills. Unemployment ran out. I'm like, all right, I got to get a job. And I remember that was such a, it was such a humbling experience. And it's, um, it's irreplaceable. You know what I mean? It's, it's not something that, that, you know, it's not something you can be taught. You have to go through it. And I'm so thankful that I went through it. And I went through that a secondary time in my career, which I'll talk about in a little bit as well. Um, so, you know, that, that happened. And then uh, there was this, I don't know what the epiphany moment was, but I went back and I was like, you know what, I'm going back to school. So I went back to school for music. Um, I started waiting tables and I started taking the money that I made waiting tables to pay for acting classes. And I went back to school and any studio time I could get, I would pay for that. I got a job as an intern at, a, at, a, at a, uh, the time it was called Larrabee Sound Studios. And it was like the famous place where everybody recorded. Um, and I was there, you know, cleaning toilets you know, running, running errands for people just to be able to get in there and have studio time. Um, so again, I'm, I'm so thankful that I had that time in my life to kind of, you know, pay more dues and really get to see what goes on behind the scenes. And also I was in there with Eminem came through and Dre and Babyface and Snoop and huge artists. And I got to see who was gracious and thankful and who wasn't. And I made notes in my mind. I was like, okay, I want to be like this I want to be like a Dre who doesn't matter if you're the runner. He's like, yeah, bro, sit down, have a, have a seat. You can watch, learn the process. You know what I mean? Those are the people that I remember. And that's who, that's how I model my career. Now I want to give back just like they did. Cause just in a split second, you can turn right or left and then your whole career could end. That's what entertainment has done. Absolutely. for it's, it's, it's a constant and I don't care how massive you are. You can be the biggest star on the planet or you could be just starting out and it's a roller coaster. You know what I mean? It's an absolute roller coaster. Um, and you have to love it. You have to love the ride. Um, because, you know, it's, I, I, I always get a little, uh, I don't want to say upset, but I get bothered when I see stars that reach a certain ascension and mm -hmm. then they don't want to do the give back anymore. And I, when I say give back, I don't mean necessarily volunteering for nonprofits or, you know, flying to Africa to help out. I'm saying even simple things like fans come up to you on the street and then you're kind of a jerk to them. And I'm busy. I'm with my family. You know, it's like, I understand everybody deserves a little privacy, but what I always tell people is it's a, it's a trade-off, right? So if you want that superstardom and you want to be, you know, playing at Madison Square Garden and not at the local coffee shop, then you have to know that there's some trade-offs that are going to come along with that. You know what I mean? It, it comes along with it. So I always tell people, look, make sure that you really want to do this, that you truly love this because there, there is a trade-off, you know, there is a trade-off. Um, but sorry, I, got, I digress. I went a little, I went a little to the left on that. You go um, and write all you want, buddy. This show is all yours. I, uh, no, I love it. I love it. I think that there's so much here with, um, I didn't even know that about you with the, you know, you, you taking pictures with Will Smith and then going yeah. out to, to hand him a Coke and, and, you know, serve him. I think that there's a lot to be said there about the tenacity that comes with the type of work you do in entertainment. Cause think about casting a, a wide fishing net mm -hmm. out far that you're able to dance you can sing you can act you can produce music now and and that's what's probably led you to get back up on your feet back in the business aka interning at the record label and such and getting all these other opportunities because you casted a wide fishing net uh to gain many more skills not to just be a boy band you know celebrity back then right because then that show yeah fair and that's that's sometimes what happens and i hear that all the time in the business of entertainment when people are saying you know 
one day you're a celebrity, the next day no one really, like you could be a washed up celebrity reality star. Washed up meaning, you know, that's, you're a one hit wonder, for example. A lot of people have experienced that in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. you know? So when, but when you were younger, I think that there's, I mean, year by year, walk us through that when you're going and... Yeah, so then, then at that point, you know, it, that's like probably toward, you know, in the late 90s at this point. And, you know, like I said, I just went hard. I went back to school, waiting tables, interning, anything I could do. I got a new agent. I was just, I was like, you know what? Something inside of me, a fire got relit. Um, and it started to pay off, like very quickly as I was paying those dues. So, you know, I moved back in with my parents. You know, I, I, I was like, whatever I have to do to survive and be able to pursue my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and things just started connecting. I booked another like 10 or 15 national commercials and, you know, guest spots on, on TV shows and, you know, a terrible B movie with Mario Lopez that was like sci-fi and we're cyborgs and, you know, all these hilarious things. So, you know, fate, as fate would have it, I met my uh, mentor, a guy by the name of Rick Wake, who cast me in yet another boy band. Um, but, you know, it, I, I looked at what he did. And at the time he was on fire. He was working with everyone. He was working with Celine Dion and Mariah and JLo and, you know, you name it, anybody who was anybody he was producing and writing for them. So he took me under his wing as, as a, you know, a boy band guy. So I spent almost a good, wow, two or three years in that group going through multiple record deals. We were signed to three different major labels throughout the three years. Um, when, and throughout that whole time, I wasn't sure if it was going to pan out. You know what I mean? Because like one minute you're like, okay, great. You guys are signed to Epic now. The album's coming out in three months. And you're like, we finally did it. And then guess what? The, you know, the A&R leaves the company or, and then you're dropped and then you're on to the next label. So, you know, I kind of utilized that time. I was also still waiting tables at the time, going back and forth to New York to work on this project. And luckily they were paying me like a monthly advance to be able to kind of put some money away, you know? So I was like, all right, let me be smart about this this time. I'm not gonna just blow all my money and be stupid. Let me kind of put money away and pursue this at the same time. And I was also sitting over the shoulders of the best pop, you know, like writers and producers of the time. So I was just soaking up the craft, you know what I mean? Cause I'd always loved production and songwriting. So three years goes by, the last deal presented is Warner Brothers Records. So, at, you know, I'm like, oh my God, Warner Brothers, they want to sign us. You know, they're like, you guys are going to each get a $25,000 advance. And for me at that time was life-changing money. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to change my life. Um, but something in my heart was like, this isn't for me anymore. I don't, I don't think at this point in my life, this boy band thing is the right journey for me to keep pursuing, which was exciting and scary at the same time, right? So yet again, you know, I remember being on the conference call and I'm like, hey guys, you know, I said, I love you guys. It's been a fun journey, but I can't move forward. I, this is not for me. And I just free fall, cut off the situation and, you know, was yet again back on unemployment, you know, it's for a second time in, in, my, in my life, you know, just but being. And it was your decision. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which was kind of, kind of cool and scary at the same time. I was going to say. I always, I always tell people, and I'll touch on it later. There's also, there's power in yes, but there's also power in no. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I ended up doing that and I just go back to business. I'm, I'm cranking, I'm doing whatever I can to pay my bills and pursue my career and my craft. And then as fate would have it, Rick called me out of nowhere and was like, hey, I found this CD of songs on my desk. There's four songs there. He's like, oh, pretty much every one of these songs are, are great. And I was like, oh, dude, I said, coming from you, I, I really appreciate it. Um, and he's like, you write songs? I was like, dude, I've been telling you for the past three years that I want to write and produce and I've been watching everybody in your camp. And, and he's, like, he's like, well, let me, let me tell you what. He's like, let me, shop, let me pitch some of these songs around for you. And uh, you might want to come consider working with me as a writer. And I, at the time, I didn't really understand the gravity of it because nobody really teaches you that, you know, what, what, how, what all that means about publishing and writing and placements and the value in it. So, you know, again, I'm like, okay, great. Thanks so much, man. Click. And I'm like figuring I'm never going to hear back from him. Sure enough, a few weeks later, he calls me. He's like, hey, D, I got a couple of your, your songs placed. I'm like, okay, great. Like, please tell me more. Yeah. And he's like, exactly. What does that mean? I had no idea. He's like, um, an artist named Anastasia who's starting to blow up overseas wants to cut your song. Love don't cost a thing. And Jennifer Lopez wants to cut your song. Why'd you lie to me? And at the time, neither of them were fully, fully huge at that point. Like Jennifer had had a couple of hits, but she wasn't, she had, she wasn't JLo yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anastasia had just started blowing up overseas, but people states, I don't know her as much, but worldwide, she sold about 40 million records. So with her, I probably sold more records than any artist I've worked with just because she's so massive. And I, I worked with her all the way from the beginning for like 15 years. Um, but long story short, those ended up switching hands, obviously. Um, and it was, it, was, it was funny how I found out because again, I'm just going about my business, trying to pay my bills. And a friend of mine who was interning at a record label calls me and she's like, Dee, did you, did you have a song on Jennifer Lopez? I'm like, I, I think so. And she's like, 
She's like, you should go to a newsstand right now and, and look at R&R Magazine. And I'm like, okay. So I drive to the newsstand, I pull up, and sure enough, on the back is, you know, Jennifer Lopez, Love Don't Cause a Thing, written by Damon Sharp, Greg Lawson, you know, and my co-writers. I'm like, this is crazy. So I call Rick, and he's like, yeah, bro. He's like, he's just, he's very similar to me, whereas he doesn't like to talk about things until they've completely manifested. Mm. I'm, I'm the exact same way. I don't want to jinx things. And I know there's no such things as jinx, but I still buy into it sometimes. Yeah. Um, so he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, dude, she, she initially didn't want the song. Then she wanted the song. Then it was going to make the record. Then it became the first single. Then within a week, it, it shipped to radio. So he's like, so now will you, will you come work with me as a writer? And I'm like, man, yeah, what, of course, let's, let's, you know, let's go. You know? And I, again, it's still, I didn't realize how fast it was going to take off. So he books me a ticket to come to, to LA. And, or I'm sorry, to New York at the time, so I, was, I was in LA. And within about two weeks, the record shoots up the charts. And then I'm, I'm just in the room with tons of other big artists. And honestly, like since that moment in 2001, like for the past 20 years, I haven't looked back. It's just been crank, crank, go, go, go. Um, and I've just learned, I would say in the past three to five years of my life, how to, and we'll talk, we'll expand more on this, but finding more balance in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and getting more of a foundation of life and love and family. So all of us need life and love and family, David. Yeah. You listen, yeah. you're doing just fine with that. I've I've been watching you. You focus just as much on work as you do with family and your personal life. And certainly, there's probably a balance that's had to been created there too. Absolutely. Gosh, but man, from a from a a, a gig like Love Don't Cost a Thing, I remember when that. Uh, I guess it was the VHS tape of whatever concert she did. My parents used to play that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. There's gosh, man, there's so much rich history to the music you've produced all Thank the way till now with, um, you know, I listened to lost years. I got my buddies listening to it in their cars when I was visiting LA uh, to you a couple of months ago, you know, you work with, you've worked with and still work with some of the top, like an Ariana Grande, J-Lo, you know, over the years. And then you also work with some who are up and coming. Absolutely. Artist partner on Lost Years. So yep. say that there's been a lot more of you trying to make sure, again, back to that idea of casting a wide fishing net, of working with a little bit of everybody, producing a little bit of everything, all types yep. of genres I'm sure you've probably bounced back and forth with. But where's that played into the career for this now 20 years of uh, what I call an extraordinary music career. So with, with, you know, relation to some of the biggest and some of the most up and coming, where does that lay in how the, how you pursue your work? Well, I think it's interesting. I think the first maybe five to 10 years of my career, I was a little too focused on always trying to chase what I call the big fish, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't understand that diversification is really what keeps you in business, you know, and, and Rick always told me that he was always like, dude, everybody sees things like this. He's like, put your scope wide. He's like, and he had me immediately. He's like, dude, go over to Denmark, come to Sweden, you know, so 0102, I started traveling like crazy and quickly learned that there were other places outside of America because previously that I had never traveled. Yeah. So I think I was a little in a bubble. And then I realized, oh, wow, like the UK has their own music. You know, uh, Sweden has their own market, you know, all these places. Um, that's why I was also early on to like K-pop and J-pop, mm -hmm. you know, because I just always cast a wide net. I, I mean, my first J-pop cut was in, or K-pop cut was Boa in like 2005, you know? So I was pretty early on in that as well, just because I've always cast a wide net. Um, and with that said, I, like you said, I also love, developing other artists and mentoring artists and because I appreciated that people did that for me. So I feel like that's a that's a, a important factor for me, not only in my career, but as a human being is to is to give back and mentor people. And also from a selfish, you know, a hidden agenda standpoint, when you help people that are brand new and up and coming, they're going to come back and they, yeah, they're, they might supersede me and be like, you know what, Damon was there when, when I was brand new and I want to help him. And I feel like that all, it, it all comes back. You know, it's all very cyclical. Let's pause the episode for a second because I want to tell you about something very special. Giving a kind gesture to someone who needs it. We're all still in the middle of the world's crisis of a pandemic, and I have found that sometimes the smallest token of appreciation can be worth a million to somebody. The Men of the Hour team and I have partnered with my great friend Vicki Gruel, the founder of Cosmic Green Candles, to help you with a great idea for gift giving this year. Everyone loves a nice candle, especially one that smells so amazing like Cosmic Green Candles. Not only do they have a huge selection of scents to choose from, but they are made from 100% soy wax and use wood wicks in their candles. Also, my favorite part is that Vicky and her team have been supporting reforestation with one tree planted for every candle bought as their commitment to sustainability. 
which means when you purchase this candle for a friend or loved one now, you will be supporting the planet as well. What a deal, right? Speaking of deals, Cosmic Green Candles was kind enough to provide us with a discount code, give a candle 10 for you to use at checkout for 10% off. 2020 may seem like new beginnings for most of us, but we would love if part of your new beginning was to give a small gift to someone that means something to you. Head to CosmicGreenCandles.com today and use the code GIVEACANDLE10 to show someone that you're thinking of them. Yeah, it goes back to the universe working together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Special about that. Music, though, more particularly here with, it's the universal love language. We know that. We love that. You could listen. You mentioned J-pop, K-pop. You know, I grew up on J-pop. My mom and I used to always go to the, pretty much what was the boy bands of Japan. We went to all the concerts, right? Exodus, Map, whoever. And I remember always listening to music like, and there's different variations and styles of music to where you might like a song because it's emotional. You might like Love Don't Cost a Thing from J-Lo because it gets your, you know, your butt thrown up in the air or whatever, right? Like there's so many reasons why you like music, why we like music. Why do you, Damon Sharp, or why did you fall in love with music? And then to this day, um, where do you think the music you're producing, you know, kind of stakeholds in a lot of people's lives? Wow, it's interesting. I mean, I definitely consider myself an empath, you know, so I feel emotions, feelings, and music do that, does that to people. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I remember even as a kid, like hearing music and being mad and hearing music and being happy and hearing music and crying. And like, it's always resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what draws me to it. And then you couple that with the fact that I danced first and foremost, that's a feeling in your body that can't be replicated. You know, it's, it's something that you feel. And I apply that to my production and my songwriting still to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, it's, it's amazing. You know, it never ceases to amaze me, you know, pre COVID obviously being able to go to a show and seeing you know, 20,000 people singing a song that you created is just, it's mind blowing and it never gets old. Whether I hear something on the tiniest satellite radio station or if it's Kiss FM or Z100, or if it's my video on even some watching something that just got completed that's on YouTube, it's still exciting, you know what I mean? And, that, and that's, there, there's some beauty in, in that, you know what I mean? Yeah, because content is still so powerful, but audio is just as powerful. It's the reason we launched- Absolutely particular podcast it's the re i mean i watch your ig stories at promoting you know certain projects that are out and released for example and to to see that and then to actually swipe up and watch the video it's it's nourishing to the soul because back when when you first started for example at 15 in the business we didn't have access to the youtubes and the tiktoks and the ig swipe ups and stuff and so now in today's time i think it is very much more exciting to produce music or to watch a movie or to you know watch a you know a fun clip on tiktok for 10 seconds you know there's so many different to all of it. Um, with music though, so I, I know a lot of people have questioned how music is created. And a question I wanted to bring up with you today is the technicalities of it. I've been in your studio. I've seen music studios before. I, I don't think I even asked you this when I came to your studio. There's like all these buttons. There's all these computers, all these lights. It looks really cool. And I ask a really dumb question, but when like just simply put, right? I don't think anybody who's listening or even myself is going to go try to make music tomorrow. If you do, great. Here's some tips from Damon Sharp. But when you got into it, writing aside, I think writing is one thing. Producing and actually working on the sound levels, getting into the software like the Adobe Cloud and all that stuff. Can you kind of walk us through simply how to create a track for an album, for example? Yeah, so it's, so it's interesting. Every process is different, right? So it depends on whether I'm sitting alone in this studio by myself looking for inspiration, whether I'm collaborating directly with the artist, whether I'm collaborating with other songwriters and producers, and then we pitch that song to artists. Um, so for me, it, it can start in so many different ways. For me, it can start with a random a baseline in my head. It can start with a drum progression. It can start with a title. A lot of my stuff actually emanates from titles or random concepts that I, that I just journal out in my phone. So I have thousands of just random fragments. Something resonates with me and somebody says something in a conversation, I just, I just go to the side and I just type that down on my phone real quick. Or if, if there's, maybe it's a movie title or, you know, there's so many different things that can spark it. But then the clever part for me, the cha- I'm sorry, the challenge mm-hmm. is to make it clever. So, you know, for example, I, 
I always loved the, the, the phrase when in Rome. So I was with two of my, two of my co-writers, Kimo, Kimo Frankel and Rick and Emma, who are, who are incredible. And I said, I, like, what do we want to work on today? And I said, I have this title idea. I'm not quite sure what it means, but I just think, you know, I lo always love the concept of when in Rome and what, and what does that, what does that mean? And, uh, and pretty much immediately, like Rick started playing this incredible chord progression on his guitar and Kimo, I had like two kind of journaled out kind of fragments of a lyric. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I read it to Kimo and he's like, and he literally almost sang the whole hook like in his first pass, like incorporating that with the payoff and everything. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, and then we ended up sending that song off to uh, a DJ who I collaborated with named Gattuso, who's huge now, he's blowing up. Um, and we just ping pong back and forth on the production. And, you know, so that was, that was a little bit different of a way of going about it. Um, that it happens like that sometimes, but then there's sometimes like Love Don't Cost a Thing was a whole nother process where, Greg Lawson, who I co-wrote it with, had kind of like, a, he had the, basically the bones of the, he had the bones of the track, and he also had kind of the first, the, the shape of the melody for the hook, right? Um, but really no lyrics. Um, and then when he, he sang it to me, and this is back on the old school, like answering machines, he sang it on my answering machine, I played back, I was like, oh my God. And the first two lines of the hook came to me immediately, and I'm like, dude, I got it, I'm driving over right now. Um, and I drove to his house, on the way, I had one of the you know little handheld recorders and I recorded in just a scratch melody of the verse and the pre-hook and those pretty much ended up becoming the melodies for the verse and the pre-hook and when I got to his house Greg had crazy had already because I had told him kind of the you know the, the two lyric ideas you know um think you got to keep me eyes you don't think I'm going to spend your cash I won't and by the time I got to his house he had even if you were broke my love don't cost a thing like he it just it just like came together and then we sat on the on, on the floor of his I actually wasn't even his apartment at the time because he was broke too. We were both broke as a joke. And yeah. we were on the on the floor of his friend's apartment because that's where he was crashing. And we finished writing that song in about an hour. Um, and then we ended up demoing it. And uh, that was one of the songs that was on that CD that Rick found and ended up some, and we actually wrote it for Jennifer Lopez, ironically, originally. That's who we had in mind. The whole story was about J-Lo and Puffy at the time. Um, and then it just somehow as kismet, fate, whatever you want to call it, ended up, on Rick's desk, he had already worked with Jennifer. He pitched it. It didn't go to her initially. Then it ended up going to her. Then it ended up, as fate would have it, fully connecting. You know, so it's crazy how they, how every situation is, is is kind of different. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that's like magic working for itself. But also, there's a lot that I think you guys would have to be prepared for. Do you think there's like a, a certain level of preparation as a producer or writer you would have to be? like in working in that type of caliber in order to be ready for those types of creative opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely, there's innately something that, that people have, but it's also a skill set that can be honed. And I think, like you said, the more you do it, the better you get. Wow. And I think, and I think uh, you know, like you said, preparation is key. If I'm going in with an artist, usually I'll try to have a few title ideas ready, maybe some melodic fragments, maybe some fleshed out kind of track ideas, sometimes even full songs, because somebody may go, oh, I love it, but I don't love the hook, let's redo this. Yep. So I think preparation is super crucial, especially in, in musical collaboration, how we see it now. Yep. Now, the other thing I will say, getting back to the creation process as a producer, um, it's fun now because back in the day day, like even before I was doing music, you would have to spend a ton of money to go into a big studio to, to track anything. Now you can have a computer, a couple of speakers, an interface, a mic, headphones, and some sort of a DAW, whether it's you know Ableton, Pro Tools, Logic, whatever, and you can pretty much do a whole song. You don't even need to have a guitar or piano. You can just have a MIDI keyboard. Yep. You know, so it's like, it's, it's kind of changed the game where it's kind of leveled the playing field, at least financially. It doesn't mean that people are gonna still have the same talent and skill set but it's opened the doors a little more yeah which is good i think especially right now and that goes back to the idea earlier of there just being more of everything nowadays you know with the social media or like yeah. the, just more tools it can be a blessing and a curse in disguise sometimes because i think with there being so many options you know, we brought a friend on the show, Patrick McGinnis, who created, who coined the term uh, fear of a better option. And I thought that was really interesting because in our industries, again, back to that casting a wide fishing net, if you're so good at so many things, and, and I mean that when, for you, especially when you are this good at a lot of what you do, there's a lot of options as well. And there's yeah. opportunities that are probably tapping you on the shoulders. And then you still really only have 24 hours in the day, minus the eight hours that you sleep. I mean, you, you and I have talked about sleep. I think you four, yeah, four hours, four to six. <laughs> I get eight, but yeah. I'm busy as you, I don't think. Um, energy. 
So with sleeping that little, I call that little sleep, Damon, with that sleep, you still have such a, a high volume of energy Thank and you. positive energy. Um, from, from what I see online to what, what I've seen in person, energy is very, um, it's not only attractive to people, but it's, uh, it's infectious. And I've heard that on my end, people are always like, oh, you got good positive energy. And I said, well, because you have good positive energy. Yep. And connect, yep. It's, it's yep. much a snowball effect from there. But particularly in your industry, it's all about relationships which most of the time I would assume start with just a good energetic connection, right? At a network yeah. or you just happen to meet someone at something. Can you give us a time where uh, uh, having good energy and that other person feeling that and, and really being receptive of that energy led to like a huge opportunity? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I would say that happens more frequently than not. You know what I mean? Like you said, when you come in and you connect with someone, I think it immediately disarms you from a creative standpoint in a good way um, to where you can feel free to be yourself, talk freely, throw ideas out that might be terrible to find the great ones. Um, you know, and it's interesting because not everybody in music, because as creators, we're very moody, right? Like we're almost all like ADD slash bipolar slash depressed. You know, it's like we have all these, this constant like, shitstorm of emotions and you know as creators it, it, it's for some reason it just resonates with all of us right um so there i have, have worked with a lot of people that i didn't necessarily connect with with on an energy level weirdly enough but in some ways it was almost like opposites attract where our our butting of heads actually created something amazing hmm. and i know that's kind of, i know that's not the norm but for some reason it it it's it's worked for me in some ways you know what i mean so i was like oh, i don't know if i like this dude i don't yep. man but you know what he's freaking great ideas and then all of a sudden the day end of the day comes and we're like we just created something really sick and that's because of the checks and i call it checks and balances like you're like oh what about this idea and they're like i don't know well yeah da, da. you know and then you you just bat it back and forth and massage it and then suddenly something that was mediocre can become great yeah and even if it's not the energy component like you said sometimes it's just miracles working itself out because of certain mm -hmm. skill sets and ideas Gosh, I mean, I just keep going back to this idea of creativity, I think, for the most part, when it comes to content and music. Um, I mean, you talked about it a little bit here where the, sometimes you just have a thought in the car and then it becomes a song and then it sells 40 million records, right? Oh, I've had the weirdest ones. I, I've had inspiration at the gym. Like where I, that happens a lot actually, where I have to like run and put on my voice memo quickly, put down like an idea because it will, as quick as it comes to me, it's gone. You know what I mean? As quick as it comes, it goes away. So, you know, I'm literally the gym, in the car, on planes. Um, Wait, let's talk about planes really yeah. the same. If I'm reading a book on a plane or I'm just, I have my MacBook out and I'm, you know, typing away at something, because you can't really get, I mean, you could do internet, but that distracts you from emails and Instagram or whatever. Uh, but sometimes I'm like, all right, no Wi-Fi, just, just sit here and think. Yeah. Air, right? Yep. So that's where I've gotten some really creative thoughts too, but you're right. It's like, you're going to write it down really quickly and then go and, and, and probably like activate on it somehow the next day and grab something, yep. you know, that can help, you know, conceptualize the idea with you. Um, man, I don't know. I want to get back to this other point you had earlier about balance. Um, yeah. important topic. It's one that I think we've covered several times on this show, but to get your POV will be really insightful because I mean, your industry is nonstop. I think when we first met, we totally brought up the idea that both of us work every single day. It's not like we work every hour of the day. Don't get me wrong. Right. You and I work out. We go to the yeah. gym, things like that. We enjoy things. Yeah, yeah. Just is nonstop to the extent where you really have to love this and you really have to, this being music for you, media being for me, but really understanding that the balance might not exist. So I wanted your thoughts on that because so long that we're looking for something, I feel like it's like you're chasing after something that might not also be in existence because you're already balanced and you just don't realize it. I've had to realize that. Yeah. I have a yeah. balanced life and I have to work every single day, most hours of the day, but you and I like what we do. You really love what you do. You wouldn't have stayed in the game this damn long, mm -hmm. but where's your thoughts on balance now? Is it something you're still thinking you hit need to find? Or I personally looking at you think you have it. Um, I think I've achieved more balance, but I think I'm constantly striving to even find a, a better, you know, e equation of balance in my life, whether it's family, friends, work, um, and just literally trivial recreation time. Cause I think that's super important too for our mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think people discount mental health so much 
Um, I'm glad that now, in, at least in the last five to 10 years, like people are embracing that mental health is very important. Self-care is super important. So as you said, like I'll work out minimum five days a week, if not six or seven, if I, if I can, because I think that's part of my mental health. That's also when I listen to music that I have, discovering new music while I'm working out, which is great. Um, I try to meditate. That's that, you know, I try, and I say, I try to, it's hard to make that time. Yeah. Um, because sometimes if I wake up and I look at my phone, forget it, it's game over because I'll have it in do not disturb while I'm sleeping. And then I come back to emails, texts. And remember, I'm working with people in China, Amsterdam, all these different time zones. So I wake up to all these random things, not to mention you're dealing with the traditional things, right? Which are emails, phone calls, texts, WhatsApp, but then you're also dealing with the plethora of social media, you, you know, Facebooks, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you know, it just goes on and on. And they're just, it keeps expanding. I think, yeah. So, you know, so, so that's the other thing. I turned off all no notifications from social media. I turned off the notifications and I just check it when I check it because that, that was getting to the point where it was just constant. Zzz, 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 zzz. And you're like, oh, it must be, uh, no, it's not important. Oh, somebody just liked this. Oh, somebody just added this. And it you could know, it could have taken you out of like a creative uh 100%, 100%. Yeah, and same thing when I go in sessions now, I'll put my phone in do not disturb so that way it's not even lighting up in there to distract me. Right. And I'll just take I'll check it every once in a while just to make sure if there's an emergency or something I don't want to not be available. Um but I try my best to do that. And and like I said, I think, you know, I used to I one thing I do regret early in my career not early, early, but the second chapter of my career when I started writing and producing is I would travel to these amazing places. I'd go to Denmark and Sweden and Amsterdam and London and, and not see any of the sites. And I remember being with one of my very close friends. Her name is Lindy Robbins. She's like, a, like a, one of my best friends. And uh, she would always be like, Damon, let's go. Let's go check out some sites. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to stay in the hotel. I'm just going to work on some music ideas. And now I look back and I'm like, ah. Oh, I missed out on so many, so many great life experiences that could have helped me write other great songs, right? Right. I created other things and been inspired. But then, I, you know, I don't know how long ago, but I'd say maybe a good, at least 10 years ago, about a decade ago, I, I realized I gotta like, I've gotta live life. And what's the point in doing this if I'm just working and making money and not living life? You know, I was like, what's missing? So then I just, every time, now I make sure when I go somewhere, I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to work from this to this. And then I want to go have a nice dinner somewhere. And this next night, you know what? I want to go, tell me what, you know, we're in Tokyo. Where's the, where's, the, where's one of the best sightseeing things for us all to do. When I was in China last year, I was like, I want to see the great wall. You know, it's like when I'm in, when I'm in Amsterdam, I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go walk through the red light district. Let's go see what crazy's going on over there. Like, you know, just living life and, and, and experiencing things. And then I, that creates so much more, um, you know, it just, it's just inspiration. You know, I always say it's, it's like, you've got to refill your creative well. So I see all these young producers now that I'm, that I mentor and writers and they want to just go, I'm, I'm on my third session of the day. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you're going to burn out. Yeah. I, I love the hustle. Don't get me wrong. First of all, you're going to burn out. Second of all, go listen back to those three songs. I guarantee you the third song is probably not as good as the first or second song because you lose your objectivity. But there's a guilt that comes along with creativity. And I think this is in all, I don't think it's just music. I think it's film, it's television, it's athletes, where you have a guilt factor if you're not always outperforming, right? And you feel like you're missing out. So if somebody else is out, you're like, oh, oh man, I see so-and-so and, -so and he's, he's working on his show. You know, and I'm over here watching a movie. But it's like, you know what? We have to do those things. We need the balance. And those the other people are doing that. We're just seeing what they let us see, right? Perception is reality. So we think, oh, Kim K looks great all the time. No, she doesn't. We just see her looking great all the time because she's got a glam squad around her and 24-7 retouching. And you know what I mean? When you have all that in your pocket, you are always going to look great. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. we have to be careful not to try and keep up with the Joneses and, you know, or keeping up with the Kardashians. Uh, you know, it's like, if you, if you do that, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. You know, it's like, you have to, you have to challenge. I say it's great. It's better to challenge yourself and try to, and try to beat the things that you've already achieved in your life, as opposed to trying to keep up with everybody else and, and overachieve what other people are doing. I, I always think it's funny when artists are like, well, uh, you know, I'm a female singer. So, you know, Beyonce is my competition and, you know, they only list off like three people. And I'm like, no, literally, you know what, honestly, everybody is your competition. Mm -hmm. So you can't stress out over that. You can't stress out about it everyone is competing you for, for that top slot. So you know what, find your niche, find where you shine mm. and, and try to beat the former version of yourself. That's who you should be trying to out, you know, outrun or, or beat in this, whatever you want to call it, marathon race. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, again, I'm going on a little bit of a left tangent, but. I've never, dude, your tangent, <laughs> it helps me get creatively going with my stuff. Cause I can, okay, 
on a show where I can listen to you and we can keep talking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anybody listening to this, I would say too, it's, I don't know if you needed it. I sure as hell needed it when you said that you need to just sometimes go do other than work when you're traveling. Yeah. Listen, yeah. just living life right now. We're all living life kind of similarly ever. And sometimes you just don't need to be actually working on a computer or whatever that is. And you need to go out and do something that mindless and then you will get creative. And to your other point, sometimes you can create your own top slot, you mm -hmm. know, like by, by being the best version of yourself and or competing against yourself from yesterday. I think yep. you're creating the next top spot for you. Let's rewind quickly here, Damon, to this mindset slash, you know, you mentioned mental health and meditation, but you have a, I would believe you have a really good grasp on um, having a dedicated and and strict mindset in terms of just kind of putting your mind to something grabbing it doing whatever it takes to get to it and i think that's become a big struggle for a lot of people because something in their mind i think triggers when someone has a creative idea or um i guess we can say that for instance with the music industry you get a creative idea and you want to execute on it yet you're kind of telling yourself how much work it'll actually take to get there or hearing somebody else say how much work it took for them to get there right and so with those two things aside for you when you get an idea and you want to execute on something knowing how much work it's going to take what do you tell yourself and then ultimately how do you kind of just keep pushing through mentally to make sure like you're not getting too worked up on this idea that it would take a lot of time yeah that's that's the hardest part right because we all have great ideas but they always say you can have a great idea but if you don't execute it and, and put it through it's it's pointless you know what i mean it's, nobody's ever going to know that it even existed and i think for me because my mind is always racing at a mile a minute mm -hmm. and i do wear so many hats um sometimes it's hard to pick and choose which ones to actually you know act on Mm -hmm. um, but I will say, like you said, it is, it's definitely a, a discipline. It's definitely a discipline to make sure that you, that you execute. I have like an extensive note in my Apple notes. It's just tons of I, different ideas. I try to compartmentalize them. Um, I try to organize them out. And then I try to like asterisk things that I know that I have to get done. And then I'll maybe do a, like a double asterisk after that or things that I would love to would like to get done. That I may not get to. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's sometimes it's a, it's a matter of picking and choosing which ones to, to execute on. But regardless, you have to have the discipline to see it through. And, and I think a lot of that for me also, like you said, is, is, it's not only meditation, it's also fitness and making sure I work out. It's eating clean. It's, you know, not drinking too much alcohol. It's kind of balancing that, still enjoying one if I want to go out and have a good time, but also knowing when to cut myself off. And, you know, I kind of, I live my life by like what I call the 80-20 rule. So it's like 80% of the time I'm going to work out, 80% of the time I'm going to eat clean, 80% of the time I'm not going to drink, 80% of the time, you know, but there's always that 20 that you got to have there to have fun. And, you know, otherwise I think you drive yourself insane. You know, I think we've both been in those places where it's like you just work so much and you have so many ideas, but then you realize that the laundry list just keeps going and you kind of have to get to a point of picking one thing. Yeah. Huge advocate for taking it a day at a time, a yep. project at a time, an interview at a time, like the one we're currently on being super present. And because I think you and, you and I realized over time that when you are hyper-focused and on one thing, you will do very well. And you yeah. execute and you will find ways to get around whatever it is you think is a challenge to execute uh, and, and complete that project or whatever. Um, man, I'm glad we have an hour because I have more questions. <laughs> you, Let's do it. Let's go. Hollywood is this very interesting place of so many misconceptions, so much misunderstanding, yet everybody idolizes it. Be, be it that you want to make it in Hollywood as an actor, a musician, um, producer, writer, or if you are on the sidelines watching The Bachelor at Home with you working in healthcare and your husband works in, you know, at a fire department, thanks to any frontline workers who are listening to this right now, by the way. Amen, yeah. It, everybody loves entertainment. I think it's, my roommate was watching The Bachelorette, the, the newest season about it. Uh, on air right now and I'm like yeah that's entertainment and then I start thinking about all the producers the booking team that probably hired those girls like there's just so much in my mind you're the same way people will listen to you like for example lost years someone will listen to it enjoy it in their car but I'm sure when you hear songs in your car you're like 
no, like I probably know the producer. Like I know how that came to life, or that's actually not their song. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I would say that's a blessing and a curse. And it's, the same, it's the same thing with not only in music, but also the fact that I did work in television and did commercials and things that I find myself sometimes like dissecting things. And sometimes I can't even enjoy a song because I hear the song and all I hear is the bass line. Oh, I love this bass line. I'm like, no, just be in the moment. Just enjoy it, you know? Um, 20 rule. 80% of the time, I think we can dig in deep. Yes you know, have that analysis. And then the other 20, uh, but what I was trying to get to here with Hollywood is that I think with the misconceptions and the misunderstanding component, people don't really fully understand that this is a less fabricated industry than most people would think. But I wanted to ask you, and this is kind of deep, but you know, answer it as you must, my friend. When you think of your time in Hollywood, the things that you've seen, the people you've worked with, the celebrities you've rubbed shoulders with and or served, do you think that you have ever had to challenge your authentic self, for example? Because I know a lot of people will misconceptualize Hollywood for the reason being that they see people acting fake or being plastic or trying to make it, whatever that looks like. Yeah. We've yeah. terms. But for you and your experience, do you think that's ever been a thing? And if so, how did you kind of like combat it? I mean, I think we're, we've all been challenged with that, right? Because sometimes it's the matter between... I know, especially early on in my career, paying your bills. So you may be like, wow, I don't really want to play this character. This is not something that I morally think that it's something I want to subscribe to, but I'm trying to get my foot in the door. You know, so sometimes there's a little bit of give and take, even from a musical standpoint, there might be like, an, uh, now, I, now I'm blessed that I get to pretty much pick and choose what I want to work on. But early in my career, it was like, if somebody was like, you want to work with this artist? You know, we're going to pay you X, X amount. I would do it, you know, because I, need, I needed the money. Um, so... I don't know if that would necessarily be challenging your authenticity, but it is a little bit of a percentage of you. I don't want to say selling out, but you know, you've got to pay bills. You know what I mean? You've got to pay bills and you've got to make things work. And I always use Pink as an example because Pink did that first R&B album that a lot of people don't even know about that Ellie Reed wanted her to do. She did not want to do it, but she was like, you know what? This is my ticket in. She did it. It connected just enough for her to be able to do a second album. Then the second album, she did what she wanted she was able to do it. So would you say she sold out? No, I think she was just smart. And she, under, she knew, you know, there's a little, like I said, there's a, some give and take, sure. you know, it's not, it's not like she threw herself on the casting couch. You know, it's a, it's a big difference. You know what I mean? Saying, okay, well, I'm going to slightly alter my musical direction so I can achieve a fan base. And then therefore, you know, that was pre social media where you could actually launch things yourself. Sure. You know what I mean? So, and I think it's the same thing for me in my career as well. There were probably some certain roles that I took because I needed a check, you know, or there were placements I had to do that I didn't necessarily want to do. Um, but I, uh, I'm just thankful and blessed now that I'm at a point where I can pick and choose, you know, the things I want to work on, you know? No, yeah, for sure. And you've built that for yourself too. So in addition to that though, from the outside looking into this Hollywood place, you know, where everybody knows entertainment is, is ideal. Yeah and created for the most part. Um, how do you think people can better understand that Hollywood is not such a fantasy? Yeah, I mean, I think, not to give you, this needs to be the name of my book, 80-20, but it's kind of the 80-20 rule there as well. Like for every 10 people you're gonna meet, at least eight of them are gonna be really down to earth, really cool, really authentic, right? There's, but there are gonna be a couple people that are, completely fake and you know want it for the wrong reasons and are, are willing to screw somebody over to make their way up the ladder so i do think there's a balance but i think the average joe who does not live here thinks it's the opposite they think there's maybe one or two authentic people and there's eight like completely fake people why do you think that is uh i think it's just what we're what we're shown it's what it's what's what's society with through television film you know, when you see Hollywood in a movie, it's it's just perceived as, oh, I want a, you know, a mocha latte, you know, decaf with, you know, almond milk and, you know, and I want it now. You know, it's kind of like that they've made it into this stereotype, you know what I mean? Yeah. And stereotypes do exist for a reason, but like I said, only on a much smaller level. Like I said, I, I feel like it's a, it's a fraction of people you're going to meet because you will meet some people like that. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I've met tons of them. But like I said, the, the great the great, cool, authentic people definitely outweigh the fake people. Yeah, I see that every day. I, you know, there, and a lot of the times, even the people who are like trying to step on everybody else to get where they want to be can also be won over in a sense where someone like you and I can make them a more, you know, compassionate and empathetic person in a way, right? By helping them understand that it's not so much of a competition. Well, and, that, and that, that's what people, a lot of people don't realize. They think that they're just kind of like entitled jerks, right? But a lot of times, they're just insecure. 
most of the time they're insecure. Things aren't happening. They feel like they have to act that way. You know what I mean? And of course, like I said, then there's the smaller percentage of those two people, the 80-20 of those two people, you know, where it's a small fraction of people that are just innately a-holes. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, you're gonna, there are some people that are inherently like that, but I don't believe, and maybe I'm deluded, but I don't believe that that's the norm. Yeah. At least that's not what I've experienced, thankfully, in my career. Yeah. Or just in life, period. You know what I mean? No, thank God. I think you wouldn't have made it as far as you have if, if that would have kind of consumed so much of it, which you're kind of a standing example as to how uh, working in Hollywood, you can kind of work around any a-holes that might exist. And listen, that's any industry. You could be on Wall Street down yep. and you're going to run into a ton more. That's probably the corporate. Yeah, you might even see more in corporate America. Yeah, it's insane. Right. Uh, let, let's, dream, let's dream make here for a second. What I mean by that is uh, I don't know if I'll ever invite or be able to have after you, dude, you might be one of the very only Grammy award-winning uh, producers on this show that has had the trajectory of a career that you've had uh, since 15 um, and, and the story that you've had from, from the topics that we've discussed between catching, a, you know, casting a wide fishing net, the 80-20 rule, uh, the, the two phases of your life that we've discussed. I mean, all of that, man, it's, it's so much that I would think, I'm like, dude, I look at you and I'm thinking you're like 30 years old. Like, where the <laughs> I've come from. And, uh, and here you are even able to now experience life more presently and create a lot of balance for yourself because you know that's what you want. And you know you have plenty of time to keep traveling, knock on wood, COVID ends tomorrow, and keep doing life the way that you want to, knock on all the yeah. way. Yeah. But I, wanna, I, wanna, I saved this for the end of our conversation here. But if you had to look forward a little bit with me here, can we create a collaboration together not with me i'm just here to create the idea with you so i can have a byline in the credits <laughs> had the next collaboration with the next big person that you want to work with being the artist for example the singer songwriter who do you want to work with and then what genre arena do you think you'd be in and then most importantly what kind of song do you think you'd want to storytell with wow that's a big one because there's a lot of people that i would love to collaborate with you know because i appreciate so many genres Mm -hmm. um, I think my first one that always come to my, comes to my mind is Daft Punk. I don't know why I've always wanted to collaborate with them. I just love sonically what they do. Um, and that would be more on the music side, kind of musically collaborating. And then maybe on the top lining side, God, there's so many, I mean, there's so many great people. I mean, there's a lot of the obvious ones like The Weeknd and Post and people like that. Um, but I would just love to do like an eclectic collaboration with like, you know, like three or four artists that could kind of span genres, you know, almost like, I guess, I guess a good example was Uptown Funk. I thought that was, that was such a, a great collaboration with Mark Ronson and, and Bruno. And they just brought like a lot of different things to the table. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that's a tough one. Like I said, I mean, I, I'm, I'm wide open. I mean, I just want to keep expanding and I've, I've got actually a lot of really cool collaborations going right now in the world, more so in the dance music EDM side. Um, but I'm looking to, you know, expand those out and just do more and more creative and, and co you know, kind of quirky collaborations. Hell yeah. Cause I, I, you know, what came to mind immediately, Damon, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of both of these as of most recently, Mariah Carey, Ariana Grande, Jennifer Hudson did the OC yep. collaboration. I still have yep. to realize if that is something that was virtually taped. I couldn't tell during the Christmas. Probably, probably. Um, cause it happened during 2020, yeah. but yeah. I, I think of their different styles. I think they're all in the pop arena, correct me if I'm wrong, but that yeah, yeah. their voices was just so perfectly put together. And you brought up like maybe bringing together a Bruno and a weekend and a, and a post yeah. has seen that come to life. Um, I, I will speak that into existence for you. Go ahead and get all the people lined up and there we go. Um, then the other second one, we'll go back in time here to, I believe, what was 2011, 2012, maybe earlier with the We Are the World. I mean, we all know that. It, there was the two renditions of it. I believe it was actually maybe three now with all the YouTube stars. But uh, when Michael Jackson, they took the original there and then had all those artists from every part of the industry yeah. on We Are the World, We Are the Children, you know, everybody. Yep. Um, that could be something, don't you think? Like, have you ever... Yeah. Maybe that no, I, did, I, did, I did something similar to that in 2005 called Come Together Now. And I had Celine Dion on it, John Legend, um, some really killer, killer vocalists. Um, and that was like a kind of a labor of love project that took about a year to put together and flew into different places to record everybody. Um, and then all the money from that went to the Hurricane Katrina victims. There we go. Um, so I would do that again. I mean, it was, such, it was a really cool give back project, but it's a lot of work. I will say that, you know what I mean? It's, it's different when you're Quincy Jones and you can just pick up the phone and get anybody in the room like right then and there. For me, it was a little harder to kind of 
you know, move the pieces on it. You could do it again. It, you know, it could be a, it could be a love project again, or it could you know help people realize that you know we've all come together more than ever before. There's so many reasons I think to do it now. But if you do, um, listen, we'll be looking forward to it. I think it's there. We go all the power to do it, my friend. You have all the. I'm sure you have all the connections. You did it once. You can do it again. Um, before I let you go, Damon Sharp with an E, like a sharp knife. Uh, for those who didn't hear it, I mean, you probably didn't hear it at the top of our show. I've asked, uh, I asked Damon to sound check himself. He was like, Damon Sharp, D-A-M-O-N, Sharp with an E. Um, so if you guys didn't know how to spell it, please go find him on Spotify. He has over, I mean, dude, you're in the millions of people. Yeah, I've got over 50 million plays now on Spotify. So millions. And that doesn't even count my, my plays as the people that I produce and written for. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to touch on. It's, it's, it's a cool point in my career now to be in a whole new chapter now, now that I've started DJing again and I'm signed to Armada Music and releasing music as an artist and collaborating with other people. I never would have dreamed that at this point in my career, I would be an artist yet again and pursuing that. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. So yeah, if you guys want to support me in that, I would truly appreciate it. I'm Damon Sharp on every, pretty much every platform. Everything. D-A-M-O-N-S-H-A-R-P with an E. Yep. <laughs> you got your own. Uh, I think there's a Justin Crawford that's a football player in Kansas that oh. offered off of all platforms, but whatever. We'll keep the- You should, do, you should add a silent E at the end of Crawford. <laughs> Third day. <laughs> Going back to the Hollywood. Let me get my almond milk with the E at the end. <laughs> And there's a little asterisk on the top of it just to make it different. Starbucks, that's not how you spell it. It's with an uh, E. Crawford doesn't have an E. Now it does. Listen, brainstorm all day. We'll brainstorm the rest of our lives. Yeah. We'll probably keep working together. Um, yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you one last question about your career, how you have seen it evolve over such time now. Um, do you... Where do you want this to go now that you've done so much and you're currently doing so much? You know, I, I often ask a lot of people in my life, like, you know, what do you want? Because that's the most important thing. You're living Damon Sharp's life. And then all these other people that are involved are very blessed to be in your circles like myself. And it's like, if we even have a touch point to someone like you, who's as energetic as you are, as successful as you are, as connected as you are, but that's you, right? So what does Damon Sharp really want? with your career and your personal life, if you had to kind of give yourself another trajectory given your past now? Gosh, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, not to sound cheesy, but like, I'm really happy at, at where I'm at in my life right now. Like you said, I have a really good balance. I've got an amazing family, friends, uh, peers, network. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I try to find as much balance as I can. I travel, well, pre-COVID, traveling a lot. You know, I would travel multiple times a year, whether it was for business or pleasure. Um, you know, I'm doing my DJ thing. I'm doing my artist thing. I'm working with a lot of amazing artists that I, that I consult for and mentor. Um, and then still producing and writing for major label artists and brand new artists. So, you know, I think at this point, it's just, I want to see those things grow and grow and grow. I think at some point I'd love to start, uh, I actually have kind of started one at one point, like a proper label where I could sign people to that label and help develop them via a label um, and build that into almost a full-blown you know, entertainment company at some point, you know, right. almost like DreamWorks, you know, or somewhere where it's like, you can, or I guess Warner Brothers, Sony, they're all great examples where it's like, you can do film, television, music, publishing, kind of dabble in everything and, and, and put my hands on that. I think that would be a lot of fun. So all I'm going to ask you now is to go get your iPhone and put an asterisk by that one. And yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. And you call me when you need the business development plan, dude. I mean, you can there we go. There just, we go. You can call it, uh, uh, um, you know, Awoken Works. It don't even matter. <laughs> the competition aside, I think um, the foreseeable future for you really sounds like something that you already have full ownership of. I mean, you fully understood that. When we first met, I remember asking you what music did for you. And essentially, it built your entire life and made you even more passionate about what you're doing now. And you continue to do that. Um, you know, you're, you're the reason the man of the hour term exists. You know, we, we coined people that term because essentially it's like, you know, I used to hear it growing up and I was like, man of the hour, what the hell is that? Who, who is the man of the hour? So this is like a guy walking around cloud nine, like hanging out and just being this man of the whatever hour, but we've spent an hour talking about exactly why that term exists. And it's someone like you who, you know, is able to give to society in ways like having 
you know, musical therapy or um, the universal love language of music period, or even sharing your story on a platform like this, where you now have helped us introduce all these brand new, brand new ideas for mental health and, you know, balance of life and what it takes to go through two different phases of your life of unemployment. You know, we've covered a lot in the past hour. I would, you know, be damned to keep this interview going because we, I mean, we <laughs> talk forever, Damon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you for being uh, today's man of the hour, at least, and stopping by the show. Again, since we launched, I know I was going to try to have you on the show, and we successfully did it here today, and I can't thank you enough for making the time, man. No, I'm honored to be man of the hour today. Thank you. Cool, man. Thank you so much. And uh, we, you know what? There's a lot of good things to look forward to in terms of all the stuff that's coming up for you, most importantly, with all the new music collaborations, and then specifically on Spotify again, D-A-M-O-N, sharp with an E. Everybody, if you'll be sure to follow him, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Damon, you're such a good friend. And at this point, I appreciate you well enough to tell you that I'm so happy to even be a part of it just minutely at this point. And, uh, you know, I've, I've watched you, I've listened to you, and I wish you nothing but the best going forward and to all the success coming uh, in this year and many years to come. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate you, man. Hey, it's Justin Crawford, and I want to thank you so much for being here on this very episode today. I hope you enjoyed it, and we will certainly be back next Monday with another great guest. Until then, if you would be so kind as to leave a rating and review right here, we would love to hear your thoughts on the show and how we can bring you exactly what you need. The Men of the Hour podcast is also on Instagram and YouTube at Men of the Hour podcast, where you can find the full video interviews with our guests and all the sneak peek exclusives. Thanks again for listening. Now get out there and make a positive change for yourself and those around you.